Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss. I am a licensed clinician specializing in the treatment of those things, OCD and anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, those things. So thank you all very much for joining me for this podcast. Um, welcome to 2021, everybody. Um, I, I, is, it, is, it, is it better than 2020? It's different. It's different. We get to write, whenever we write the date, we get to screw it up for the next six months or so. But here we are. We're in this year. Well, um, I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, when you get older and they go like, all right, you're, you know, you're, 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 you turn 18. Yay. It's a big deal. Then you turn 20. Yay. It's a big deal. And then you turn 25. Yay. It's a big deal. And it's 30. And then it's just kind of all the birthdays just kind of get different and they just, it's just a different number, but it's all just kind of the same thing. I feel like that's where we are. It's where I am. I don't know where you are. But I'm willing to bet that's where you are, too. I'm optimistic, though. I think this one's going to be good. So I'm happy for it. I'm happy things are a little bit... um, Well, I'm just going to remain optimistic. How about that? I think that's where I'm going to be for today. I hope you are all with me on that. All right, everybody. So today's going to be a a bit of a different episode. So today's a a fun episode. I got to interview Mike Sizemore. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him in just a moment. Um, But uh, but first, uh, the FearCast is a question and answer based podcast. Uh, If you have a question about uh, OCD and anxiety treatment, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can ask me a question there by submitting a question at the submit a question link. It's, it's, I I hope it's self-explanatory, but um, You'll, you'll be able to find it. Go to the website, you'll find it. It's going to be super easy. Anyways, um, but uh, if you send me a question, I will read it, I will consider it, I will likely put it up on a future episode, as I've done in many, many previous episodes. Not this one, but future episodes. So, additionally, everybody, if you like the podcast, if you're a returning episode, returning podcast listener... Um, Please like the show. Please give it a thumbs up, a like, a star, or whatever format at uh, whatever way you're listening to podcasts at this very moment. Uh, that would be delightful. Uh, if you want to go one step further and warm my my sad, cold, dead heart this winter, um, uh, you can write a review. Say it's great if you like it. Uh, if you don't like it, um, go ahead and keep your opinion to yourself. But either way, um, if you don't like it, you can email me and tell me what I need to do to get better because I'm always looking to make sure that this podcast can continue continually improve and get better as we are all doing with New Year's resolutions. Do you guys do New Year's resolutions? Are you doing any New Year's resolutions? I'm determined this year, I'm going to do a couple of things. One of them, I'm going to learn to ride a unicycle. I know it's not an important one, but I'm going to do it. So check in with me this time next year. We'll see if it actually happens. I've I've been known to not do them. Anyways, uh, enough of my yammering, everybody. Sometimes I do this. All right. So before we get into the podcast, everybody, let me tell you first about Mike. So Mike Sizemore is a OCD advocate and has dealt with obsessive compulsive disorder for 23 years involving various themes that have morphed around different subject areas. He was diagnosed at age 13 during hospitalization and has managed to achieve a better way of life through exposure and response prevention and other CBT strategies. As part of his OCD advocacy, he is one of the admins over at the OCD Friends Facebook group. So if you would like to know more about Mike, you can go over to the OCD Friends group and join. It is a fantastic group, but um, more on that later. Without further ado, here's my interview with Mike Sizemore.
All right. Mike Sizemore, thank you so much for joining everybody for the FearCast. How are you doing today? Uh, doing great, Kevin. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, of course. So, um, so Mike, I'm having you on today to talk about two uh, incredibly important topics, two things that we've certainly talked about on the podcast. I know you talk about them on a daily basis with uh, the, the folks that you're working with and also just in your own life. Uh, we're talking about uncertainty and resilience and uh, and how it applies to OCD treatment and, uh, and, and, and ultimate recovery. So, so before we jump into things, I'd love if you could for the listeners who who don't know you. I know some folks who are listening to this do know you already, but uh, could you tell me? Could you tell me and the listeners a little bit about uh, who you are and a little bit about what your story is? Uh, sure. Uh, I so I've uh, I've had OCD for right around twenty three years. Uh, I was diagnosed when I was thirteen. Uh, sort of came on all at once and hard uh, and. Uh, so I was, um, my grandfather had it and it runs in my family. And, uh, when I was going through, um, sort of that growth change period there from, uh, childhood to adolescence, it sort of, I think was hormonal changes and whatnot and environmental changes that sort of, uh, sparked off OCD in me, um, got the diagnosis after I was in the hospital for about a week and uh, tried to manage with compulsions the best I could ever since that, uh, which was doable to a point until uh, it was about 20 years in the making. And then all of a sudden it was becoming less and less doable mm. uh, to the point where I you know, had to go through uh, exposure and response prevention, which I should have in hindsight done before I did. But uh I uh, did go through it and uh, went all into it, whether I liked it or not. <laughs> and and um, thank God I was able to see the other side of things. Oh, that's so important. And that's so incredible. It's um, <clears throat> j- just before uh, just before we started recording, I remember you saying that uh, uh, you, you something to the effect of uh, you, you, you knew what ERP was, but man, you just didn't really want to do it. Yeah, I knew I knew what it was <laughs> yeah. for a probably about 10 years before I went through it. And I always thought, you know, all that, that couldn't be me. I I couldn't do that. You know, and that's, that's for other people. Uh, I, that, um, that would be, I can't even imagine doing that until I had to do that. For the ERP has a, it has a stigma to it. It has kind of a stink to it for, for some. I mean, every, you know, myself and every other OCD writer or person out there is going to say, you know, that the gold standard of treatment is CBT, ERP, mindfulness medication, right? But when people talk about ERP, exposure and response prevention, there's there's this, um, it it has it has a I think for some people it has this kind of scariness to it this 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 idea that it's going to break them or it's going to be just incredibly impossible or it's going to be you know it's going to turn them into somebody that they ultimately don't want to and this is just or you know or something else right what was what was the the hiccup for you what was the stigma that it had before you jumped into it before I jumped into it, I always, I, I guess I just didn't give it much thought. I just always thought that would be horrible. I, I didn't think it wouldn't work. Mm. I, I, uh, but I wasn't sure that it would work. 
Mm-hmm. So I wasn't one of these like, where that would never work for me sort of thing. It was just, it was almost like inconceivable. It was almost that I just couldn't grasp the concept because it seemed so horrifying. But living with OCD every day is horrifying anyway. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, especially, I mean, you get free moments when you do compulsions, you get moments of freedom, but they're, but they're, they're always transient. They're always mm. uh, come and go. And, uh, and you see how much is interrupting your life and you see how much it's taking from you and you see how unlikely your, um, uh, your concerns are, but unlikely is good enough for OCD. Right. Right. Yeah, those those short moments of of relief are are just that they're they're short lived and they're fleeting, but they're they're just enough to keep someone keep coming back. So, and I think when you do that, and when you when you when you play that game, which OCD kind of hooks you into that game as soon as you do the first few uh, rituals right, and you get that you get that burst of relief. It's like. You know, hey, you know, I'm I'm feeling better now. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I keep doing this? It's 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 that positive reinforcement or I'm sorry, negative reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, um, <clears throat> of you know, yeah, I'm, my distress got taken away, my anxiety got taken away. I feel safe. I feel secure. I know the answer now, and uh, I can just keep living my life until the next trigger comes back and starts the process all over again but it was just enough just to kind of keep keep things afloat mm-hmm. right for um for listeners out there uh, you you mentioned the term negative reinforcement and corrected yourself from positive reinforcement i know a lot of folks will will get those two confused ultimately within a a reinforcement schedule this is going to get real nerdy real fast for some folks out there but the negative reinforcement ultimately just means it reinforces so it 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 it, it encourages a behavior to continue to happen but negative means something is taken away positive means something is added positive reinforcement would be like i'm going to give mike a piece of candy that will make sure that he continues to do something taking something away is oftentimes especially in in anxiety land it's going to be taking away pain discomfort uncertainty fear it's going to be pulling that away and that brings ah that relief to where someone then says okay i feel good again whatever i just did that pulled that away i'm going to keep doing that so that is so that's ultimately what negative or excuse me yes what negative reinforcement means right I, and i learned that actually from um, dr sally winston mm-hmm. um that the, the distinction between between that with anxiety right right and it um and it works Right. It's uh, it, it's kind of how we, uh, we we dog train ourselves with almost anything, you know, OCD aside, we we dog train ourselves with um, various positive and negative reinforcement schedules. But um, I, I don't necessarily we, we don't need to necessarily jump into all, all of those. <laughs> okay. But um, but but I was curious what. Um, but, you know, I, I had a question and it just completely popped out of my head and was going to be so good. It was going to tie all the things in. It's gone. It's gone forever. But I'll edit all this out, so it'll make it. It, it, it will okay, make if sense. If it comes back, we can. If it comes back, we can address it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well. Well, Mike, I guess to in in regards to in regards to OCD, and 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 your your individual ERP, um, what did you find within ERP that that worked that was really helpful for you? Why is it that it 
when you when you got over the hump of uh, of uh, of the obstacle of it, what worked for you? Well, uh, I'd say a few things worked for me. It was number one. I think the main thing that worked for me was just understanding that because I um uh, before I went through ERP, I actually went through the police academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was my original sort of uh, goal that I was striving after until uh, everything got redirected, and I'm I'm happier for that. Uh, but when I went to the police academy, I had to go completely in. I had to be all in. Failure was not an option. No matter what I had to do, I had to do it because uh, I was just determined that no matter what obstacle arises, I'm going to plow through it. And, um, and I think a lot of people with OCD, they have that tenacity. They have that, that drive to make things happen, uh, which is actually what you need to get through ERP, I think, anyway. It's just, it was for me. So um, when I went into ERP, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. I just knew that no matter what happens, I have to get through this. Mm. And when I uh, when I so when I went in there, I mean, obviously, I was doing things that my brain had been telling me to stay away from for two decades, right? And it felt very, very scary. <laughs> felt very, very unsafe. Uh, felt very irresponsible. And um, it felt, you know, for lack of a better word, crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, but I think one of the big game changers for me is that I had never that I remembered not done a compulsion before when OCD said to do one. Mm, so so then hearing someone say, don't do this safety precaution, don't do this thing, don't don't wear your seatbelt while driving, don't wear a helmet while skydiving, or just simply go skydiving, it it's as you said, it sounded crazy to you. What was it what, what was it like doing it the, the first couple of times? Well the first um, the first times I wasn't successful. Mm-hmm. The first few times I weren't, I, I, I was successful to a point. I, I don't want to say I wasn't successful because anytime I think that you can delay doing it when it says to do it is a success. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, what, what OCD wants you to have is that knee jerk reaction. You know, when, when it, when it, when the thought comes up, you do the thing. Right. Right. And, and, and so the more time and distance you can give yourself between that and the compulsion the better off you are mm. uh so the um so the first few times i i didn't do it right away but i ended up doing it uh which gave me a little bit of fuel to say wait a minute you know you can wait and and it doesn't feel comfortable but you can wait but the the big game changer for me the big the big uh, uh understanding i think came from where I let that anxiety rise up as high as it possibly could. And it felt, I won't sugarcoat it, it felt awful. But then I also felt it recede and go down. Mm. And I was able to sit through it without doing what it was screaming at me to do. And I felt that subside. And it got to the point where I said, wait a minute, you mean I do have a choice? Yes. Yeah. And understanding understanding choice was was foundational. Mm. 
to to the therapy. What was that like to to give yourself permission to not listen to that OCD voice? Or or perhaps a better question is, what did it take for you to give yourself that permission? Uh, well, just to answer your first question it, um, about what it felt like to not listen to it, is it felt very, uh, um, like I said, very irresponsible, very... Uh, vigilante kind of mm-hmm. reckless uh, but but it only felt that way for so long and then it became the way of life right does it and oh go, go sorry, ahead. and to, to answer your second question about um about uh i'm sorry what was your second question <laughs> <laughs> i guess i think my, i think my second question was what did it take for you to give yourself permission to what do this it, thing what did it take what did it take yeah that's that's the better question actually is it took um it took a it took a very aggressive point of view it took a very angry point of view mm. uh, to to say which anger is usually spoken of as a bad thing uh but in in your therapy i don't if you're directing your target toward ocd i don't think anger is a bad thing absolutely um when you can understand exactly what ocd has put you through for so many years Mm -hmm. when you can understand and grasp that that you know it's it's called the shots it's you you have been you have been on the strings for so many years doing doing whatever it says for you to do because it's been fear-mongering you Mm when when you can get so frustrated at that and say you know i don't care what happens i know what happens when i listen to ocd Mm -hmm. you know i don't know what happens when i don't right and ocd has stolen so much from me you know what do i have to lose i mean what am i gonna do live with ocd right right i i i love I love that perspective of being angry, of being angry. And that is, that can be an incredible motivator. And it sounds like certainly it was for you, but we, we should be angry at this thing that has taken something from you and has occupied and has twisted and distorted life. When we can then take that, take that, take that anger and channel that towards defiance and channel that towards, I mean, in a sense, this is just going to sound poetic, I suppose, and silly, but kind of a rebellion against that voice. And to, to motivate you to do exposures, that can be, so then anger can then be an incredible tool and motivator. Um, the the other words that I love that you used, you said when you start, first started doing it, you felt irresponsible. You felt reckless. I had to write those words down. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It felt like it felt like I was like the most reckless, you know, carefree person in the world. It felt like, you know, all my life I've been telling myself I need to do these things because this thing says to do these things. And then I I think one of the biggest things that came to me later in therapy was, you know, that question I asked myself, you mean other people don't live this way? Right. You mean other people don't do these? They don't feel this heightened sense of I have to do this and this is wrong if I don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's it. It can be. I mean, because for for so long, I mean, you said for almost two decades, you you had just done this. 
that's just what your life was. And it wasn't really a question of should I or shouldn't I. It's at some point for some folks, it can just get to a, a, a rote connection. I have this Absolutely. thought, I feel this feeling, I do this thing. Another common lie that OCD says, and it always says to me, it always said to me is this feeling will last forever. Right. So therefore, and you got to do this thing. Yeah, you, this feeling will last forever. You can't tolerate this feeling lasting forever. So you have to do what I say for you to do. Right. Right. And and to to one of the points that, that you and I were going to focus on talking about was was uncertainty that that the a lot of what you've been talking about so far in your ERP journey is this, you know, I don't know what's on the other end of this. If I keep if I if I don't do my compulsion, I don't know what's out there. And it, I mean, it could be the, it could be the potential promise of just feeling like hot garbage for the rest of your life. It could be this, you know, if you don't do this, your brain is going to explode out of pain and discomfort, or you're going to get this consequence that is highly unwanted, right? Um, disastrous. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's going it, to, I mean, I remember when my therapist was targeting my core fears, um, in therapy, mm -hmm. uh, just sort of, you know, what will happen if the worst thing happens? Right. And I said back to him, I'm afraid that I would get worse, worse treatment than a death row inmate. Mm. I said that back to him. And, and you know, so it's going to be like these inconceivable. Absolutely. They're, 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 they're not an, they're not an average feared consequence. Right. They're so, a feared consequence that you could never recover from. Right. And, and, and yeah, that's the that's that OCD deception is that it's going to be this. It's not only going to be it's not going to be bad, like getting into a car accident is bad. You know, breaking a foot is bad. It is it, it can set, it can be catastrophic for some folks or it can feel like that that there's going to be this uh, un, this change that is going to be uh, uh, intolerable. Right. So so we seek safety. Try to run from that. And and the and the uncertainty piece ties so nicely into OCD. The way that it does is because the uncertainty is well. There's, well, there's uncertainty in everything. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a sh at least a shred of uncertainty in almost everything. Right. And you know the OCD attaches to one problem area, at least one problem area and demands that you have certainty absolute 100 percent certainty mm -hmm. tell, tell me a little bit more about that that perspective that that there is there is a there's a there's a lack of safety in everything there is and and um i i have to i have to give a big fat shout out to uh dr john grayson for the work that he's done um in with with uncertainty because he was absolutely uh instrumental to my uh, getting through therapy, um, but uh, but you know he talks about about how certainty is actually an emotion, mm -hmm. and that was really big for me to hear that that feeling of certainty isn't a guarantee, mm -hmm. and and you know when we think about you know there's car accidents, you know. People, you know, you're supposed to be safe at home, but people die at home. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, bad things happen when they shouldn't happen. 
and why should we think that they shouldn't happen is because we think that they should be safe. They should be certain bad things don't normally happen, but they do happen. Mm-hmm. And we can't predict. So, that. yeah. And we can't, we can't guarantee that those bad things are never going to happen or that we can ward them off forever. Right. And, and we, we can't guarantee it, but we can, we can try to guarantee it. And when we try to guarantee it, that's where it sets the trap. I, and I, I, I think for some folks who may be listening to this, they, they might be saying back to us, well, if we, if we can try, why wouldn't we? Right. That's a, that's a very common, I mean, that's a very common thing. I mean, that, I mean, if we can make something work for us, if it appears like it would work, why wouldn't we try it if it's going to benefit us? And uh, another thing that I'll throw in there too, is that ERP and dealing with uncertainty does also fly in the face of everything that we hear in society. These, these common um, catchphrases like uh, no such thing as being too safe. Right. Better to be safe than sorry. Ugh, I can't tell you how many times I hear that. Yeah, those things. Yeah, those things are those things um, add to the OCD voice. Right. Right. Yeah. And it just it, it, it galvanizes it and it normalizes that as if to say that that is something that is is, is, is it just a well-known fact? Don't you know, we all ought to be better safe than sorry. Yeah, always good to double check. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. And did you find did you find those sort of phrases in your mind or that as validation to continue on with your compulsions? Um, I, I, I knew what I was doing was excessive and I knew that other people didn't have to do it. I always said that, well, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other people, they're much more confident than I am in their decisions, but I'm not confident in mine. Mm hmm. And so uh, it was, it was more of, I mean, it was, it was just, but then the more exposures I got in, the more compulsions that I didn't do, the more that it did give me that choice and the more that it sort of built that, built that stance, that, uh, that procedure up in my mind that, you know, wait a minute, I do have a choice when I do something, even if it feels totally irresponsible, totally reckless, like I'm putting other people in danger. I do have a choice. Right. And you can take that choice to, to take that risk, right? Um, because I, I, I love one of, the, one of the points that you had previously mentioned was uh, that, that needing certainty, seeking certainty, and that, that 100% safety. I mean, I'm going to – I'll just – use those terms probably interchangeably certainty and 100% safety as, uh, as as interchangeable for one another but kind of need, needing that ultimately just makes OCD grow and stays around for the long and, and encourage OC, encourages OCD to stay around for the long term right yeah, and that was that was a that was a point where I had realized that I know what life like this is like I don't know what life without it is like. Mm-hmm. And I will say that when I got through it, or I don't, I don't like to say that as like got through it because it's a, it's, I manage it daily. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so I don't like to put like an end, like an end time, you know, time on the end of it. But, uh, but what I will say is that it, it took me a while after having it for 22 years is it took me a while to sort of regulate myself and say, this is what the world is really like. Mm. Right. It's remember my, my therapist told me when I had that big breakthrough, he said, it's like you're looking at a landscape for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that really touched me when he said that, because it was, it was like, it totally OCD totally skews your perception of everything. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a hefty amount of relearning that needs to take place. Right. Right. So to, to that point about uncertainty and, and, I guess, what did you need to learn about about uncertainty and its role in, in, in your, again, not to use that like BCAD sort of term or like like before ERP and like as and that permission to then start and continue to do ERP. How have you had to, to rethink what certainty and safety means for you? Um, well, uh, safety, as far as safety goes, uh, I learned in my therapy that safety is really an illusion. It's, it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee one way or the other. It's not saying that you're not safe, but it's not saying that you're definitely safe. It's, it's, as far as uncertain, as far as uncertainty goes, it's sort of the same, uh, it's sort of the same concept. It was, you know, it's not saying that something bad won't happen, but it's not saying that it will happen. It's just right in the middle. Just right in the middle, right. And I, and I often tell folks that it, it, it's right in the middle, and that's right in the middle for everybody. And everything that you and I are ever going to do is is right in the middle. I mean, back to one of our previous points, or one of your previous points, rather, is that you know, even if you if you try to seek safety and, and ensure safety and certainty with your life, um, you know, you could stay at home and stay in your bed where it's going to be safe. But I mean, you could have an asteroid land on you, right? Yeah, or you could have a heart attack, or you could have a heart attack, right? Yeah, there's no such thing as 100 percent safety in in whatever we do. But it's this idea that what what's the, I, I I kind of encourage a lot of my clients or all my clients rather. What is what's the life that you want to be living? Is is that is that continued cycle of trying to seek safety despite the you know the the fleeting feeling that you might get? But is is it worth it to you? Right. I mean, what is well? One thing that I said to my therapist at the end of my formal therapy that he that he liked was I just told him because I was exhausted from therapy and it was just it just felt like a whirlwind. I mean, just like you've been run through a knothole backwards. Uh, I just told him, I said, absolute certainty is too expensive. Yeah. And that's really what it is. I mean, it's going to, I mean, seeking that certainty is going to fuel that distress. It's going to fuel that discomfort. It's going to fuel your dependence on somebody or something else. Right. Right. There's always going to be something else. Like I, 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 I love that phrase. It's to to be certain is just too expensive. It's you know to to that point. It's what what is at at, at what point is the cost too high for certainty? Right. And, and so what is that? 
at, at what point was it too high for you? Because I think that's for, for a lot of folks out there who are just towing the water of getting into this or thinking about their next exposure. Um, what is, how, how did you do that cost-benefit analysis for taking that risk, again, to feeling, to saying, man, this feels wrong, but I'm going to feel and do this thing that my brain is telling me is irresponsible, it's reckless, it's dangerous, but to not do this is to, is, is, it's costing me too stinking much. How did you manage that cost-benefit analysis? Well, some of the things just real quickly that I said to myself yeah. were things like, doesn't my family deserve better from me? I know that this is, this is, this is an illness and this is technically not my fault. But because it's not my, even though it's not my fault, it is my problem. It's a responsibility. Yeah. And, and yeah. And understanding that, you know, my family deserves to know the real me. I deserve to be able to live a real life. I, even though OCD says I don't deserve to be able to live a real life, I deserve to actually try to make things happen in my life. My, my peers that don't have OCD, um, uh, you know, they're, they're a lot more advanced, <laughs> and, you know, socially and, um, you know, career and things like that than, than I am because I've always been hampered. And uh, there's a lot of arrested development there because you've been living in a bubble for so long. And so I said, you know, so I tried to, I tried to, you know, say say things like that to myself you know what could i be doing you know what is the life what is life really like you know um if i do this and i go to prison for doing this i mean i can i'll have to enjoy prison yes i i i and that's that's a great perspective to have it's that let's say let's say i do this and i go to prison as one of the many potential outcomes for this exposure that I'm about to do. Maybe going to prison is an unlikely one, but, well, I could give... That's one of the options. Okay, if I were to do that, could I deal with it? Could I deal with that outcome, and what would that be? Because I, I think some folks will say, I just can't I just can't shoulder that outcome, or I'm not willing to deal with it. But I've actually found that when we think about those terrible consequences, right, how would we manage it? And when we when we talk seriousness about that those potential outcomes and whether or not we can deal with it, a lot of folks can actually get to that point to say, you know what? All right, let's say I were to go to prison because of this thing that I'm about to do. Do I have the capacity to handle it? Can I deal with people? Can I follow direction? Can I whatever whatever may be involved with prison? Which you know, granted, does not sound super fun, but. Could I deal with it? And a lot of folks I will say I will say I will say one thing that I would think of in that situation uh -huh. is I my choices are to live at OCD's beck and call outside of prison and be miserable, or if I do this exposure and I sort of conquer OCD and build up those skills and I go to prison. I'll be able to enjoy my free thought process in prison. You'll live freer in prison than you will outside of prison. Right. Right. Um, that's, that's an incredible amount of, uh, of, of trust. Trust in the process, right, and I that, should say. And the, 
it's and that I mean resilience to talk about the other piece uh-huh. is is so and it's so important because you will learn and you may not and I know that anybody out there who's listening to this who hasn't gone through ERP yet who hasn't considered it who who was like me that said that I could never do this mm-hmm. you know that's for other people that's not for me I'm not made of I'm not made of that stuff that can do that. Um, you will become more resilient as you go through therapy. As you as you make those strides, the more that you put your feet to the fire and understand what you want and understand what life might be able to be like, and the more that you go through it and repeat the process over and over and over again, the more you will grow resilient, the more that you will get that defiance, the more that you will get that push me, I dare you Ooh. attitude. Yeah, it's such a boost in confidence and self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Right. Did you, how, how did you experience that, that increasing resilience i don't i don't want to say like a, a on or off switch with resilience but a, a an increasing growing resilience throughout your process i think for me it was the more that i felt beat up but understood that my options are limited here mm-hmm. i really have two options i really have the option to live under the foot of ocd mm-hmm and I know what that's like, or I have the option to, even though I feel beat up, continue to move forward. It's okay to, it's okay to get knocked down. It's okay to, um, to feel just tired. Mm -hmm. It's okay to feel scared. Mm. It's okay to feel sad because it it will make you sad. But, but the, the, I think the, um, the real game changer in resilience is understanding that, yeah, you feel all those things and you, you think all those things and yeah, the anxiety is awful. It does feel like your, you know, body is just screaming at you and you just feel uneasy and, and just tense and things like that. But you decide that I'm going to keep going. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going because and then it leads back to the first point where I know what life is like in this life. I have to have faith that there's life that's better out there. A livable life that's out there. Right. Right. And it might not be exactly what I want, but I know it's better than this. Right. Or I think it's better than this. Right. And, and at the very least, there's that there's that trust, right? That um, or there rather it's not necessarily trust. It's hope. It's hope because you, you don't know what's on the other end of it, but you're but you are wanting it to be better than this. And the only way we're going to find out if it's better than this is if we go and explore it and see if it is in fact better than it, or what better than it is now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and humans. I mean, for you know, time and again in history, in in American history and in human history, I mean, we've displayed resilience. Resilience isn't one of those things that we don't have. Mm-hmm. It's something that you develop when you have to. Right, right. What is what does I know we've been using the word resilience a lot, but what does resilience mean to you? Because how how would you define resilience? 
resilience, I guess, to me, um, means it means just the the ability to handle things, the ability to this is my problem, this is where I'm at, it's in my lap now. How do I how do I deal with it? Mm-hmm. You know, when when the Titanic went down and people were having to be thrown on the lifeboats, you know, you had a you know it was it was survival. Mm-hmm. It, you know. I mean, um, things like that. I mean, when when bad things happen, there's survival. There's survival, or there's or there's collapse. Right, and that's the option. I I, I love the language you're, you're continuing to use here. I, you're you said you said you've said option. You've said choice, and you've kind of you're, you're continuing to illustrate this this concept that that you are the person who decides to enact these skills. You are the person who can who can make the choice. I'm I'm going to do this. Where I think a lot of folks what what defeats them in this process is this little nagging thought that says I don't have it in me to do it or I'm you know I'm not strong enough, I'm not good enough, I'm just going to crumble and you know I'm just going to keep doing this thing. Um Tell me about that. Tell me about choice. Tell me about the, the decision-making process that someone ought to or needs to go through, and or perhaps how what you went through to enact resilience. I think you can. I think that you can make it easy, and you can sort of intellectualize it to a point. But then there's you can understand that you have a choice, and you do have a choice, but it doesn't feel like much of a choice because the other voice is so loud. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, you can, I mean, you take somebody that's like, you know, like in the military and has just arrived to boot camp and you've got a drill sergeant screaming in your face to do something to that, to that cadet or the, the, that, uh, private that just got off the bus that's getting screamed at. It doesn't feel like they have much of a choice. Do it or don't. Yeah. And, but so I, I think that you can, you can understand that you have a choice to a point, but then there's a point where you just have to, to just say, you know, I'm going to, I don't know if I have a choice or not, but I have to trust that I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to feel all the feelings and it's going to be bad, but I have to do this. You, 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 you give your, you, you stick to what you know you should do and you, and then once you, I think the revelation comes that once you get through that first wave of it all the way, mm-hmm. that's where you realize you have choice. Right. Cause you, you, you see the evidence of it. Right. Like it was that one time where, I mean, the, like one of the first times I rode that wave out, because that's one, one thing my therapist told me was he was like, he said, it's all about riding those waves. Right. And I was like, but that doesn't make me feel better. It's just, I just go through horrible anxiety and it goes away. That doesn't mean, <laughs> you know, but, but then it was, that's where choice comes in. Right. You ha- you have the choice to play the game and deal with the with the never-ending discomfort or you have the choice to go through the short-term discomfort and choose what you want anyway and it's that um it's that decision for you know do do i want to have uh short-term comfort 
over long-term gains, or do I want to feel uncomfortable now knowing that it's, or trusting that it's going to benefit me in the long run? Right. Tough and decision. you don't have to wait as long as I did. You don't have to wait 22 years. Right. That, can you talk just a little bit more about, about riding that wave of anxiety and what, what it was, what it means to ride through, and what you find to be helpful in riding through, uh, um, in riding through the wave of anxiety. I think that's where the mindfulness thing comes in, very, very, very nice. Because when you're going through that anxiety wave, you're not avoiding your trigger. You're not avoiding the thought, you know, be it wash my hands, check the door, stay away from knives. You know, make sure that you go back and circle around the block because you might have hit somebody. Mm -hmm. All those things are still there. Mm -hmm. You don't want them to go away. Because if you make them go away, that's the same as a compulsion. You know, to try to force that out. So you want to sort of uh, separately let those things be happening. Mm-hmm and feel all the distress that it brings because you're not acting on them. And even though you're not acting on them, you are doing something else. Mm -hmm. Something that you find to be important and that's going to feel like a risk. Because you're and addressing you're the going, problem. Yeah, you're, that's going to feel, that's going to feel irresponsible. That's going to feel like a risk. Um, any other person would circle around the block to see if they might have just hit and killed somebody. It's what a reasonable person does. You can't see a, my listeners can't see me quoting, but it's what a reasonable person would do. Don't you know? Yeah. You'd go back and check. Yeah. What, what are you some kind of, what are you some kind of animal that you just keep on <laughs> driving? I mean, aren't those people on like police dramas and things like that? Yeah. You must not care about other people. You want to kill people. Right. And then as hard as it sounds, and I know it's awful feeling all of that. Mm hmm. And continuing to be committed to not do the safety behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe going to jail. Right. Right. And, and then as soon as you can feel it, and I know you don't believe in that, but as soon as you can feel anxiety rise all the way up and hang out there, mm-hmm. then it's bad. Uh, and But then when you start to feel it recede, Mm-hmm. Because anxiety will go all the way up and it'll be talking to you the whole way it's rising up and then saying, you know, but what if, but what if, but what if, but what if. But as long as you can hang out there, you'll feel it go down and then you'll realize, wait a minute. Even though it was screaming in my ear all along, I did have a choice. Mm -hmm. To stay. Yeah. I think there's something r really once you get through that 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 up and down that big wave of anxiety we there we have to reflect back on that experience if we sometimes, yeah, absolutely. if we sometimes go through that experience and then and then we we just go oh my god I can't believe I got through this uh, I, I never want to do that again it it doesn't give that experience any any respect or or it doesn't honor the experience you just had. When we can take a look at that moment, 
that, that experience, that up and down you just experienced and say, okay, I was terrified that X, Y, or Z was going to happen, but nothing happened. And I got through it. It tells you two things. One, that that feared story was unlikely to happen. And one, it, it didn't happen. And two, that to that point about resilience, you have to realize that you are resilient because you dealt with that big stinking up and down and you dealt with it. I think that I, I, I like the simple definition of resilience is learning to deal. Mm-hmm. And that we bounce back. And a lot of things in life are just kind of dropped into your lap and here it is. And, you know, it's, it's up to you. It might not be a problem, mm-hmm. but it might be a problem. Right. Right. I just wanted to, you know, just to say too that like the more in 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 OCD therapy and 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 in just in just in life, the more that you commit to a positive change and practice that change, the less you have to practice that change. Hmm. Could could you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it's it's like learning anything. It's the more that you. Uh, the more that somebody who plays basketball, you know, in high school commits and sets time out to practice, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're not very good at first, you know, they, they know the basics, but that's it. But the more that they are structured and, and committed and say, you know, this is my time to practice. I'm going to do this thing. I don't want to practice. You know, I don't, I would rather be doing something else. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna practice now, and then the more that they do that, the more that that becomes automatic, right? And the more the more that you practice the way that you want to live, then the easier that way to practice is over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it it's it's tough to change. It's tough to change because uh, we've we. Folks with OCD get they practice compulsions and they get real good at it. It's a matter of where it becomes, and then that's where they. I think that's where the when you get so good at it, when you don't give yourself another option, Mm -hmm. doesn't look like there's another option. Right. Yeah. And there. What was that like for you to? to think about there being this other option. I guess you've kind of answered that that question a couple of times, but um, I think for 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 some there can be this you know, I'm 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 blanking on who this person had the person I who had said this. Ah. This is gone. It's gone out of my head. It's been a long day, Mike. <laughs> but let me see if I can jump back in. But to the point about committing to positive change and actually then practicing that and getting good at it, um, it's it 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 takes determination to do that, and and a, as we do that, we just continue to get better and better and better at it. Um, what would you say to someone who's considering getting on, considering change? I would say. you you have you have the ability in you to practice if you're committed which to to be committed takes motivation and to get to think about motivation you have to 
Think about what's important to you, what you care about, what you want your life to be like. And then that will hopefully give you motivation, which I find very few people that that wouldn't give motivation for if they molded over long enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then, then you have to use that motivation as a fuel to implement the kind of change you want to see. Mm-hmm. And then you start practicing that. And the more that you practice that, and then the more that you're committed to practice that, because I feel like with OCD, even when we go through therapy, it's still not our natural way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still, I mean, OCD is always going to be there to try to bend you back toward its way. Mm-hmm. That's why the therapy tools are so important because they, they, they remind you, wait a minute. No, you know, this thing that I hated, this this idea of exposure and response prevention that I hated is now actually my friend. Mm. But it gets easier over time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You 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 build up those you build up those skills. You build up that strategy of um, stepping towards your fear in the face of OCD and not doing what OCD says that you need to do. Mm-hmm. The more that you do that, the more that, that builds that resilience, the more that that builds that handling uncertainty, the more that it seems like just in just an average day. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that uh, OCD is in the background somewhere, but it's just an average day. Right. And one thing that I heard early on in my therapy was I heard a therapist say on um, on a uh, webinar was that you you really have to make this a lifestyle. Right. And that was really big for me because I realized that, wait a minute, you know, there's going to I mean, I'm going to go through this really hard therapy, but OCD is not going to quit. Right. And that's why. And it was all about turning toward. When the, when the spike comes up, when the the thought comes up, it's all about you know noticing and turning toward the therapy skills. It's a daily decision. It's a moment by moment decision sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wanted to say too about you know about safety and resilience. I think that this ties into that. Is um, the famous psychologist uh, Abraham Maslow. Mm-hmm. One of his quotes, um, he studied the, you know, the hierarchy of needs and, you know, basically how humans succeed in life. And he said, uh, one can choose to go back toward safety or forward toward growth. Growth must be growth must be chosen again and again. Fear must be overcome again and again. Mm. That's such a fantastic quote. Yeah, yeah, and and it really is. I mean, if you think about it, Jim, like the moment by moment, you we make those decisions pretty much every. I mean, maybe not every second, but but every day. Yeah, yeah, and and it, it, there, I like that that idea of developing this lifestyle. It's this thing that we just do over time. It's not something that it's it's on or off. We are or we aren't. But it's continuing to go back and do the do the hard things or do the skills um, as they come up. I kind of liken treatment in a sense to a to a diet. 
the sense. It's that if we're if uh, this is a little bit convoluted, I suppose, but uh, and it's not a direct comparison. But um, I, I I love this quote. It's that it's a lot easier to get, or it's a lot easier to stay in shape than to get in shape. So yeah. yeah, but it's like once you so to get that ball rolling to the place where you're quote in shape, or in our case, we're talking about mentally in shape. It takes a lot of work, and you're learning to do new things, and you're having to make all these new decisions. But once you quote get the there right, whatever the the there is right, no one is now we're in shape and whatever that means right. But we get to this place of greater functioning, and then we say okay. Now it doesn't mean that I quit doing all the things that helped me get there. Maybe I don't need to do them as intensely as I did as when I was in treatment, but I need to continue to do these things. And as you said, make a lifestyle out of it. Um, what are some things that you found to be helpful to create that lifestyle of kind of an ERP or anti-anxiety lifestyle? Um, probably the biggest thing for me is accountability. Mm. Understanding that... You know, I and and I, I personally try to as, as uncomfortable as it is at times, I personally try to put up as much accountability on myself as possible. Understanding, you know, just I hate to liken it to addiction or, or anything like that, but it but it is. I mean, uh, you know, if a if a person has got a drinking problem, you know, and they're, you know, and they're easily triggered by the sight of whatever uh you know, they don't want to, you know, go see a friend that's hanging out in a bar. Mm -hmm. They don't want to, you know, drive past a, uh, a known drug house where they're going to feel triggered to stop in, you know, so it's things like that. It's, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to fall. You, you need to set up enough accountability and reasons not to, and that's why, you know, making your making your recovery so, you know, enjoyable to be able to say, you know, I know what I give up if I do this. Mm -hmm. You know, even though it feels really tempting in the moment, I know what I give up. I know where this goes. I know where this road leads because it'll OC will say, oh, it's just the one time. Don't worry. You'll feel better afterward. Right. It's so easy. You know, yeah. It's just like an alcoholic saying, you know, oh, just have, I know that you had a drinking problem, but you're better now. So just have this one drink and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You could handle it. Right. Right. You'll get, you'll get back on and you'll be, you're, you, you, you deserve to, you deserve to celebrate and feel better right now. Mm. Right. Right. And it's, it's trap. Mm -hmm. Right. But again, to to someone who's on the front end of that, that sounds that sounds like an impossibility. But as what we've been talking about in developing the the resiliency to deal with that voice and being and being flexible with when that voice comes in, um, I mean, to the point to the person who is quote out of shape, to the person who's the alcoholic. Actually, a, 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 I, I I will I, I like the analogy of of alcoholism with uh, with this as well. Um, not that there are perfect comparisons either, but but it's you know I, I've talked to folks who are. 20, 30 years in alcohol recovery, and they say, I still think about it. I still think about it. And you'd say, well, sh I mean, you haven't drank for 20, 30 years. Like, shouldn't you be fine? But it's that 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 voice may never go away. But over time, you start to develop a, a, a better way to manage it, to deal with it, and just keep moving on with the lifestyle that you have 
constructed. I think that's kind of what we've been talking about here is that when that voice comes in, we're, you're not, you don't just crumble under the pressure of that silly little voice anymore where you go, all right, whatever, there's that voice again. I'm going to keep doing this thing that I'm, I've decided to do that is better for me, that feels better, gives me a better life, et cetera. Right. And that's, and, and I think too, with, with, you know, when you get through therapy, when you get through exposure and response prevention, you might, nece- you might not necessarily always feel comfortable, but you will feel fulfilled. So comfort, comfort and fulfillment aren't the same thing. Mm-hmm. How would you define the difference between those two? Comfort is a, um, it's a nice, it's a nice, it's a nice feeling. It's a nice, it does feel safe. Comfort feels safe. I think. I don't think you can feel unsafe and feel comfortable. (laughs) But, uh, but what I will say is that uh, fulfillment is more of an understanding of what you've been able to achieve, what you've been able to accomplish and I think fulfillment is amplified even more when you understand what you were able to do in the face of something hard. Mm. Right. I think that's really well said. It's it, it it's a it's a it's a longer lasting experience. It's a, it's it's something that is it's kind of like as you were describing it, it kind of felt like the difference between happiness and joy. Right. Yeah. Happiness. Hap, that's that that is a good analogy. Happiness. For anybody out there who don't know what we're discussing, I mean, the comparison. Uh, happiness is that, you know, burst of, you know, oh, yes, I'm happy. This is such a good moment. But joy is that sort of inherent moment of, of feeling complete, feeling accomplished, feeling, uh, I say, content. Mm. Right content that 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 feeling that is not dependent on a situation it yeah. just is yeah it just is and it, and it can that that feeling can still be present and still be true despite the fluctuations of of temporary emotional states right we can still right. be joyful yeah. and, and then, annoyed or we can still be content and feel and feel somewhat agitated Right. Because because you I mean, we always have, we, you know, people, I mean, they have aches and pains, but that doesn't necessarily have to spoil their mood. They just acknowledge their aches and pains. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's it. it I, I talk about that, that comparison a lot with uh, sensory motor and, you know, somatic OCD. It's that, you know, they say, well, I'm. I, I think about my breathing. I've, I'm thinking about the ringing in my ears with tinnitus. I see uh, the eye floaters. So I say, yeah. And for for some of us, we feel we feel back pain, we feel knee pain, and we keep going. It is there, right. and that points back to resilience. Right, it's there, and we can learn that we can have that life, and have that feeling, and have that thought, and have that that emotional uh, f- those emotional fluctuations. But if we're focusing on the things that are bringing us joy, the things that are bringing us uh, contentment and meaning, then we can actually, we, we, it's a lot easier to endure. Right. Because to feel, I think with OC, I think living at OCD's beck and call, you will never feel truly content. Mm-hmm. You'll feel happy at times. At times. 
but but you will never feel that long lasting feeling of contentment <clears throat> and if i had to do it all over again if my worst fears came true if everything that ocd said would happen happened which they haven't yet 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 at the end of the day at least i'm content right right well, I know, Mike, that you've, I, I appreciate your time. And I know we've, we, we've talked a lot. I don't want to take too much more of your time. But is there, is there anything in, related to just the, either the topics of uncertainty or resilience you want to touch on before we sign off? Or any particular words of wisdom that you want to give to folks who are thinking about getting into this or who are in, in, in the middle of their recovery journey? Uh, I don't really have anything more to say on the two topics. I think we've pretty, pretty well talked them out uh but uh but i will say for anybody who hasn't considered or was like me that said i can never do this you will never feel you will never feel ready you'll never get to that point where it's you feel i'm ready i'm completely ready so don't wait on that you know challenge yourself give yourself the benefit of the doubt give yourself to say give yourself enough you know resolve to say you know i don't know how like that like what i did i mean you know, i don't know how it'll turn out but i know that this is not how i want to live my life and i know that this is how my loved ones don't deserve for to see me live life this way i deserve happiness just like anyone else deserves happiness even if i don't feel like i do mm-hmm for anybody who's in recovery or is managing managing OCD, uh, I would say, you know, um, don't put your skills away. Mm. Keep them, keep them right at the ready. You know, you don't have to be hyper vigilant about your skills, but make sure that they're not, make sure that they're always close by. Right, right. Right. And for, for someone who's who's in recovery or, you know, post post treatment, I say, you know, do do a small exposure once a week, do a right. larger exposure once a month and every couple of months do a big one, schedule it in, make it happen. I, I make sure that I do daily exposures mm-hmm. you know, throughout the day, mm-hmm. uh, not every day because it's still good to be flexible. Mm hmm. And it's good to teach yourself that you can live without exposures. Right, right. (laughs) Because at the other extreme, at the other extreme, you can become dependent on, I have to do these exposures or I'm not doing well. Right. Then exposures become compulsions. Right. Ironically. Right. That's yeah. And uh, it's it's always something to be cautious and and aware about if you're starting to do if you're doing your exposures so that you feel better. It's kind of a backwards sort of way to think about it, but um, but if you're doing it to make sure your anxiety comes down, as opposed to saying, "I can do this because I'm strong and resilient and I can face and feel anxiety," then it can right. be a problem. Yeah. Other than that, I st- just would say to everyone that uh, thank you so much for listening, and I hope it was encouraging. And just there's so much potential out there for each and every one of you please don't think that you're the one that it won't work for. Mm. Awesome. Well, Mike, thanks so much for uh, your time. Thanks so much for your words of wisdom and sharing your experience uh, in all of this. 
So, Mike, um, uh, if, if folks want to learn more about OCD treatment or to uh, or, or to get connected, perhaps even with you, um, uh, you're you're over at uh, the OCD Friends uh, Facebook group. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a um, if you're uh, if you're searching for a group and you can search on Facebook. If you just type in OCD Friends, um, the uh, the founder uh, Richard Amato is a. Uh, he's the uh, he's the founder of the group, uh, and uh, it's been really beneficial to a lot of people. And we would love to we would love to have you in. Uh, also, for other resources, uh, please prefer uh, professional resources. Reach out to um, uh, the IOCDF, the International OCD Foundation, mm-hmm. and and or the Peace of Mind Foundation. Mm-hmm. They're um, they're all really helpful. Right, right. Awesome. Well, for uh, for listeners of this podcast, they know that they can go over to Fearcast Podcast and go to the help or find help link. And uh, I, I have a link to the IOCDF uh, uh, website there. So, um, so you can check that out. But um, but yeah, everybody out there, if you haven't already, check out the OCD Friends group. Um, Mike's over there and is a regular contributor to it. So again, Mike, thank you so much for taking your time today. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for this podcast. And and. I would say to anybody that if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already on a better track than you realize. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. So, all right, everybody. And Mike, have a good day. Thank you. All right, everybody, you made it through this episode. Thank you all so much for uh, making it through this episode. Um, man, I had so much fun talking to Mike. He is super easy to talk to, and uh, I just think he has so much experience and so much um, wisdom to offer. So uh, I'm really appreciative to Mike for giving uh, uh, giving us his time. So um, everybody, if, uh, if you have a question for Mike, I'd be more than happy to have him on again to answer questions. If you have a question for a future episode of the podcast, again, go to fearcastpodcast.com, submit a question link and you can ask me a question for a future episode there um please remember everybody that uh um, the fear cast is not substitute for psychotherapy if you have a question about uh or need a little bit more help in your recovery you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and go to the find help link and there's going to be a little bit of information there so all right everybody thank you all for joining me for another episode into 2021 we're going to do it everybody This is going to be the good one. It's going to be better than the last one. And it's going to be super good, right? Let's just put it out in the universe and make it happen. Manifest it. All right, everybody. Until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.